Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We are presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS and part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today will be Luke Wyatt. We will talk about Vanderbilt's basketball loss to Grambling, take your questions in the mailbag, and more. Luke appears on the guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and other made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, call Michael or text him at 615-830-9458. Now on to our podcast with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins us. This is Monday morning. Vanderbilt has lost a basketball game to Grambling State. It's the second time this year. The Commodores have lost a game as a big home favorite. Uh, the mood has certainly changed around basketball since the pit win. Uh, that's what we'll talk about today mostly. Luke, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get things turned around again. But that was a devastating, devastating blow. I never thought I'd ever see a Vanderbilt team lose to a team from the SWAC. Well, it's never happened until that no i know it's yeah took a hundred years <sighs> the mood around basketball is not good i don't know how else to put it um <laughs> the texts yeah. and the calls i get the texts and the phone calls you get yeah i i'm, I'm very curious how this is going to end at the end of the season if things continue to not go well, because I think the chance they could make a coaching change based on what I'm hearing and you're hearing is greater than I would have thought three or four days ago. Well, here's, here's what I think you can't do. And Vanderbilt's been infamous for doing this. Waited too long on Derek Mason to pull the trigger. Waited a year too long on Jan Van Bredekoff. I, I can go down through history and tell you where we've waited too long or waited way too long on, on coaches and administrators. And I can tell you this, I, I think unless there's a rash of injuries and you don't get Jordan Wright back, let's say Paul Lewis's concussion situation, you know, he's now missed what seven straight games. Uh, if you don't get him back because Trey Thomas can't be the backup point guard, he can't be, that doesn't work. Um, I just think that uh, there's no way you can defend and say, well, we're still improving. And when you lose Liam Robbins and Jordan Wright after this year, we're going to be better next year. You can't, you can't say that. So <clears throat> to me, progress has halted if all those things occur. Now, I will say this. I'm a type of person that I'm not a fire somebody after a horrible loss or, you know, knee jerk reaction to something. I, the season should play out, and if we do anything less than a winning season and at least an NIT, then I think there should be something done. By the way, I, I want to clarify, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but based on our exchange of texts over the weekend, I asked you, this is what you were hearing about them maybe making a change after the year if it does not go well. 
that's not opinion. That's based on people you've talked to. That's based on three individuals that I've spoken with. One that's very close to the program. Uh, one that's involved in administration, not athletic administration, but university. And the other one's an athletic department employee. Is it fair to say, well, I, I know what you're going to answer here because we texted about this, that declining ticket sales for several years in a row is also a factor. And by the way, I've started to hear that from other places too, that the lack of ticket sales and, and income that comes from that is starting to be really problematic over there, which look, that's not, it's not hard to see if you go to games. No, I, you know, and, and, and I know part of it has to be the cumulative effect of uh, four or five straight losing seasons, whatever it is. You know, I think Vanderbilt fans had the had a lot of pride with their basketball programs, both men and women. Um, we now have crowds for men's games that we used to have for women's games. Um, I, when Jim Foster was here and in the early Melanie Balcom years, we would have sometimes – Three to 5,000 people there for women's games. Now, that's what we have for a men's game against a quality opponent like Pitt. Um, when Barry Goheen and those guys that were honored the other night, Will and that group from 88, if they'd have played Pitt, if you, if you go back in time and they played Pitt, there would have been 11, 12,000 people in the gym, maybe sold out. So, and I know different time, Titans, Predators, all that, but there's more to it than Titans and Predators, a lot more to it. Well, and, and the women's crowds uh, are probably comparable to something you'd see if I went over to watch um, Centennial High School's women, or at least it was till Shea Ralph got here. I don't know if that's changed a lot, but there's that also. No, I, I, I don't think it's changed much at all. I think they sold maybe 1,000 to 1,500 corporate tickets, which – uh, maybe half of those are used. So you're averaging five to 700 people a game. Uh, that's when you get into conference, probably. These, uh, these non-conference games, you're not, you know, you're not getting anything. Um, and we talked about it a little bit. There's things you can do to put people in that gym. And I don't know whether it's pride or just not wanting to work, but you can go to Lipscomb, Trebek, and Belmont and at least put a few people in there that'll cheer for the, for you. And, you know, I just, I don't understand why they don't care, but it just it, it, it seems like seems like they just don't care. Well, and I think you've got a lot of people, and again, this this is me paraphrasing kind of some things that you sent me in Texas weekend, but I, I just think the whole fed up with everything has got a lot of people withholding support until they see progress in certain places. I, I don't know how you would want to phrase it. And so I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'll let you just kind of take that thought from there. Well, yeah, I think the last four or five years, your two major sports, football and basketball, and, I, and I'll throw women's basketball in there too, has been putrid. Uh, football made progress this year. It ended on a sour note, but that didn't surprise me that much because Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama is what it is. We're not even close to that. And if you're a, any type of Vanderbilt fan, you realize we're we're not we're not close to that yet, and that's understandable. But we were playing on the last weekend of the season for a bowl, so there was progress in football. But where else have we seen progress? Last year, men's basketball ended on what I thought was a good note. They played well in the NIT. 
could have easily gotten to New York, missed it by a few points, and that's fine. I thought we were on track. But when you come out and, and, and you hear these comments, and, and I don't know Coach Stackhouse well at all. I've said hello to him, and that's it. But I can tell you this. When I hear post-game comments of like, well, you know, we're trying to make sure we get better as the year goes on, and we use these games to get better. Yeah, but you know what? You got to win some of them. You can't lose to Grambling. And I know Southern Miss is 9-1 and one now, but you shouldn't lose on your home floor to Southern Miss. When you're a 10-to-14-point 10, 10 favorite, you can't lose those games. You could lose one maybe in a season, but to lose two within a 10-game span, no. Yeah, and I mean, that was the strange thing about being at that Memphis press conference because I was at one of his media availabilities a couple days before that, and it's like building our resume for the postseason, and all of a sudden, like, that night it's like, well, we, you know, I think he might even refer to them as preseason games, uh, which is not the correct term, but talk, you know, all of a sudden it went from, you know, hey, this is building our resume to, hey, this is the pre-conference portion, which was just a really, that's how I took it. That might be unfair, but that was a really odd left turn at that point. Yeah, I, I get the feeling and it's the first coach that's been at Vanderbilt that, that I felt this way about. He, he, he views the preseason as an exhibition season. Well, it's not. These wins and losses count. And, you know, I don't understand how in the world when we've got full 13 scholarships. Now, when you got a couple guys hurt, I get it. But why are we having to play walk-ons at time right now? There's no reason for that. There's no way in the world you can convince me. I know maybe the kid's busting his butt and earns it in practice, but if you don't have scholarship guys that are better than that, then you that you better look in the mirror because this this is your class. To me, this is this is Jerry Stackhouse's team. So I judge him harshly this year. Well, I just think that's a case. The culture over there is not competitive. And I think Jerry's a competitive person, but you, when you're in and around that all the time, is it fair to ask, does that take an effect? Yeah, and you know, you're right. Jerry Stackhouse was a good NBA player. He's tough as nails. And I'm sure he hates losing. I mean, no one wants to lose. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, are you putting in the work? Or, you know, Will Will made a very good comment, and this is the defense a little bit of Jerry. Will made a comment on his podcast with you about this is a trap game because of the exam, and we always have said that. The exam game has always been a tough game, whether we're playing a good team or a bad team. It's always a close game. We've lost some of them. I get that. But when you had just come off a good win and put yourself back on track to kind of be where you should be in the preseason – then you turn around and give it right back by losing the game. So we take one step forward and take one and a half to two steps back. And there's no reason for that. It's not like we're a young basketball team. I heard him say that. We're not a young basketball team. Our depth is young, but we've got plenty of basketball minutes on that floor. And it shouldn't be that way. Those kids are mature enough to understand what it takes to be grambling or what it takes to beat Southern Miss. I don't buy that. So you think, 
you think they could make a change if they don't make postseason? I, I just want to be clear on what you think might happen if this does not go well. It's all about perception. If we go, all right, we go, we're going to play 31 games regardless. We're going to play 32 games regardless because we're going to play one in the tournament, SEC tournament. So in 32 games, if we go 15 and 17, but we win four of our last five, then everyone's like, oh, we're getting better. It was too late, but we got better. See, I'm not that type of person. I, I'm not going to predict that you should that that there will be a change made, but in my book, I would make the change. I'll and I'll harken back to 1981 when Richard Schmidt was our coach, and everyone saw that it was not a good hire. Rory Kramer, we beat Kentucky in the SEC tournament, and Richard Schmidt thought he was being called into the office the next week to get a raise or a contract extension, and Rory Kramer fired him. That's where that's when you have to have an athletic director and a chancellor that say, hey, we get this, Jerry, we appreciate your efforts, but it ain't working. This is, we're going into year five now, and you're getting ready to lose Liam Robbins, uh, Jordan Wright, and, and probably others, and there's no way we're going to be better next year. There's no way, unless we get some five-star transfers or something. So to me, yeah, you have every reason to uh, reboot. I want to hear your your thoughts on this. I don't think the chancellor was super impressed with him his first year. I, I do think that the off court stuff uh, probably played a little bit of a factor in that. To Jerry's credit, um, he knocked all that stuff off last year, and they had a pretty nice season. Um, you know, missed the missed the NIT or missed the NCA. You know, maybe you could argue that with a little bit more health. Uh, they they sneak in. I, I don't know what the the right side is, but I think that's the fair argument. I think you have to acknowledge that was part of it. Uh, but and and the thing about losing to Grambling, it's not about one loss. It's about the the body of work. I mean, he's thirteen and thirty nine in the SEC. I think that's the worst mark of any Vanderbilt coach ever. Uh, the the overall winning percentage is probably close to that since World War II. And I get that. Um, wasn't the best of circumstances having gone winless the year before, but Bryce did leave him several NBA play. And, and look, Bryce, like had that number been anything but a zero in terms of wins, I think even if it's two or three, everybody would have viewed that different. And frankly, they should have should have had a couple of wins that year. And that and that's on Bryce. I'm not saying it's not, but the point I'm making here is you can't set a bar of expectations any lower than zero. Um, I, I think that when you have a team that that's beat, that's that beat down, I, I think that's something and, and Jerry had a job to do, but also I, I don't think that you could have set the bar any lower in terms of the backdrop that he came in against. And you start looking at some of these kids that have moved on and played ball. And, and I think it's, it's fair to ask, shouldn't, shouldn't there be more than 13 SEC wins at this point? Well, I, I don't. I, I I get what you're saying. I don't look at that because, like you said, coming off an zero and eighteen, and I've said before, I've defended Clark Lee in football after coming off the debacle of Derek Mason's last two years, uh, is why the first year of Clark looked so poor. So you know, I guess we won what three uh, Jerry's first year, three conference games. Is that correct? 
uh, with with no talent, with not very little talent. Then you know Max Evans was a leading scorer several times. So and I love Max, but if he's your leading scorer on, on certain nights, you you're not very good. Uh, I, I just don't I, I don't think the thirteen thirty nine bothers me as much as there is not a sense of urgency to me. When we get a win, it's like it's the greatest thing in the world. And if we lose a game, oh, well, we're trying to build toward the end of the season. We should not be sitting here at 5-5 five and five right now. This team is a 7-3 and three basketball team, even with its inconsistencies. They have enough talent on their roster that if you show up, have a good game plan, play well, play hard, you should win. You should have won seven of these first ten. And I get injuries. I get all that. Everybody's got them. Yeah, yeah, they do. And that—that's the other thing. Is it like I feel like you see more injuries in college basketball now than you did before? They're not the only team that's been beset by some of those. Now, look, there's there seem to disproportionately happen to their better players, and Jerry has certainly been the victim of that. Like you can't have a fair discussion about this without mentioning it. Uh, but my, my, my issues are kind of elsewhere, too. You go back and look at the players he's brought in and how many of them have just been absolute busts. I mean, he brought in six, seven guys last year. Six of them were gone. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, that's... Yeah, I, I mean, what, and, 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 if, and if you want to play the... Okay, the hand he was dealt, not being very good... Really, he's only brought in two guys, three guys in my mind that can play at this level, three or four. Um, but it, it it depends on where your your bar is. Okay, no doubt in my mind, Liam Robbins is a really good player, uh, and of course, Liam yeah. Robbins was also brought in by Ed Conroy, who's no longer on the staff. Pippen, um, Jerry gets some credit there because players did have a choice to come or not come. Once the coaching change was made, and Scotty did come, although I don't know that, I don't know what the uh, the other offers might have been at that point. Uh, that that was just that was a miss by the analyst, to be honest. I think Scotty was a better player than than he was probably given credit for. But point is, you start looking yep. at guys he's brought in that can play at this level. I'm thinking of guys like if you say the top five teams in this league right now, let's go Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Arkansas, Kentucky. I don't know that there's anybody on this roster that would be playing minutes, and by minutes I mean even five, other than than Liam Robbins. Uh, the only other one I would even come close to because he can shoot the ball is Studi because he's he would play in situational things like in zone. Yeah, he, that that's probably stuff. fair. Yeah, that's the only other one I could see just because of situations. But uh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I agree with, and, and there's no way you should be in that situation because I want to look at when we talk in terms of is it fair or not to give Jerry another year. Here's when I here's the way I look at that. We don't know who he could get out of the portal. We know who the three recruits are that are coming in. But are we without Liam Robbins and let's say Jordan Wright and a couple of others? Are we going to be any better next year? How can you say that we would be? That's the reason yeah. why I look at that. Well, and I'm I'm stalling for time here a little bit because I'm I'm trying to do the math that I should have done before the the pod that I meant to do, uh, okay. but ran out of time. Uh, but okay, I think I've got it now. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I just the, the point is that the thing his evals have been his evaluations have been awful. I mean, there's, there's just no way around it, and that's what worries me. Like, what does does he become a much better talent evaluator between now and the next year than he is now? I mean, I, I think that's the case you have to make. Well, I've seen two of the three kids coming in play. Um, a friend of mine is from uh, Indiana, and his high school, he's the athletic director and coach up there. And uh, I watched his the kid, uh, his name, I think, it's, is it Jaquan Rock? I can't remember his last Jaquelin, name. Jaquelin, I think, yeah. Roberts. Yeah. Anyway, watched him. He's very athletic. Again, very athletic, uh, quick twitch kid, can do some things, shot the basketball horribly in the game I watched him play. Now, that's a one-game sample. I get that. But athletically, yeah, he's he's SEC caliber athlete, athlete. But show me on our team, besides Miles Studi, the kids that we used to have, the Barry Bookers, the Scott Drouds, the Barry Goings, who can just fill it up when you need a basket, can hit a three. We don't really have that. Trey Thomas is the second guy that you look to for threes, but Trey's limited because of his size and he's not quick. When you're that small, you better be ultra quick, and he's not. Um, I just, it's just very disturbing to me, you know that, and and I don't know that if he made this comment, I don't want to hold Jerry to this, but I, I, I seem like I remember him comparing Trey Thomas to I Allen Iverson. Yeah, he did. No, I don't well, think that now, was meant to be exact. But, I, I don't I don't know what what that was about. I I, I, I think their evals, their evals just have not been good, man. And that's the thing I've said. I said even before this season. And this is gonna sound like it's talking out of both sides of your mouth. Um, but analysts missed two on guys. And the thing that I kept hearing and I said, I, I'm not taking a stance on this. I'm just going to tell you both sides. Uh, the recruiting class was ranked in the top 25, but I was hearing for some people in the basketball community whispers that that class was not as good as it was hyped to be. And let me just give you some numbers on their freshman class so far. And I get that Lewis uh, has been hurt for seven games, but Paul Lewis has also scored three points in 30 minutes. Here, here are the numbers on their freshman class. They've played 316 minutes so far. They've got an effective field goal percentage of 47%. That's allowing for the three. That's not good. They pulled 63 boards, 14 assists, 17 turnovers, 80 points. So 10 games in, the freshman class is averaging between the five of them, 6.3 boards, 8.0 points. Uh, that's, again, between the five of them. More turnovers than assists and a field goal percentage that's unacceptable. Now, I think if if they're having a hard season and they're lighting it on fire, then it's like, okay, may, maybe that's a little bit of different conversation, especially if you like the class coming in next year. And I hear I hear fans saying, well, the highly rated freshman class, blah, blah, blah. Ratings start to go out the window the minute you get to campus. And I get that freshmen get better and improve. And at Vanderbilt, that's that's usually a longer haul. But, I mean, you look at the freshmen that, that, that have come in lately in the last few years, like Saban Lee, you knew right away he was a player. Aaron Neesmith right. knew he was a player. Darius Garland certainly knew he was a player. 
Uh, Scotty Pippen Jr. averaged double digits right away. You have opportunities on these teams. It's not like these kids are being crowded out by kids who are just lighting it up. Now, Colin Smith, I think, can play. Um, but yeah. but to me, none of the others have really shown you much. I, I know, you know, Dort has impressed some people at times with swatting a, a, a ball in the stands, but he scored seven points. Um, he's got six turnovers to an assist, and he's blocked what? Um, seven shots. I mean, I, I know there's some stuff there, but, you know, he should be playing more than 44 minutes on this team if he's that good. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Well, I, 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 first of all, I'll agree with you with Colin Smith. I'll disagree with you on Paul Lewis. I, I saw enough of Paul Lewis to realize that he would be a very good backup point guard for us. Yeah. I, I've watched Paul Lewis shoot, and he can, he can shoot. We, had, we just hadn't had enough samples. He ain't been out there enough. Okay, so those two I'm I'm good with. I think Lee Dort is defensively will be fine. Lee and Malik, to me, right now, don't have a clue what they're doing on the offensive end. And what what's going on with Noah Shelby? I have no idea. He doesn't even see the floor. He doesn't get in games most of the time. And he was supposed to be the best shooter of them all. I I, I was told. Uh, you know. I know the kid coming in from Good Pastor is a really good player, Isaiah West. I know he is. He's a good he's a good basketball player. But again, are we going to be better next year when, with what's coming in and what's leaving? We we need to take advantage of having Liam Robbins, a hardworking guy like Quentin Malore Brown, who I know offensively doesn't give us much, but he does a lot of intangible things that I like about him. We have to be better than a losing record this year. We have to be at very, at very worst an NIT team. We we need to be sixteen fourteen or seventeen fourteen, and to do that, that means we first of all have to beat NC State, then win the next two non-conference. That puts you at eight and five. Then you're going to have to go eight and ten or nine and nine in conference. Now, I will say this, Chris, and this is getting off a little bit what we've been talking about, but I watched Missouri get absolutely blown out of their own gym by Kansas. I know Kansas is a top 20 team, but they're not that they're not a great Kansas team. They're a good Kansas team. I watched uh, most everybody else in the SEC except Tennessee got beat by Colorado, who also 
scrambling beat Colorado. So you can do stuff like that all day long. So there's teams that out there that you're going to beat possibly that, you know, on paper you say we have no chance to win. The best team in the SEC to me is Alabama. Yes. Not just because they beat Houston, but I think they beat two number ones, two teams that were number one at the time. And I think watching them, they have potentially the best team, and I think they are the best team. Uh, Auburn got, you know, the Auburn-Memphis comparison. I said when we played Memphis, that's because of how old they are and that point guard, that they're going to be a top 25 team and they're going to be a team that could get to the Elite Eight. And I still believe that. they. They handled Auburn the other night in front of a basically a home Auburn crowd. So, you know, the, the SEC is not great. There's there's three really, really oh, good I, teams. I, right. I disagree. I think the league is really good. I think it's we'll really find, good. We'll find out. But I, I, how many teams would you say right now will make the – not right now, but when we get through the season, how many do you think will make the NCAA? Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Mississippi State. Um, and I think, so that's six. And I think probably one or two of Missouri, LSU, a- A&M and Florida have not been anything like what I thought they'd be, but I wouldn't count them out. Buzz, is, Buzz Williams' teams always get a lot better from January on. So the computers, Ken Palm's got A&M at 57 this morning. It's got Florida at 55. Florida can't beat anybody. Um, the computers like them. Castleton's a really good player, but I think teams have started to figure out that they don't have um, an elite supporting cast around him, that their guards at times can be erratic. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I think to me right now, I mean, Kentucky, Tennessee, Bama, Arkansas, Auburn are going. State's unbeaten and has beaten a couple of good teams. That's an old team. I think State's going to – Ole Miss was the team I left out. Ole Miss has got a shot. Ole Miss has got a couple of quality wins. I wouldn't be surprised if you see eight teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, if I had to yeah, I, put a number on it and over-under, I'd probably go seven right now. And I, I think where Vandy stands, I, I think the worst three teams in the league are Vandy, Georgia, South Carolina, probably in that order. Vandy being 12, and then a pretty significant gap between 12 and 11. I, I know Missouri got its doors blown off the other night, but that team's got a lot of kids who can score and a coach who I think is just fantastic. And well, I, and, and that's where we differ because I've seen Missouri play now four times. And offensively, yeah, they can put it in the hole. Oh, de- so defensively, they, they they give it up. That's there's no doubt about that. But yeah. they've got a they've got like eight or nine guys that average nine points or more. Um, and, and Dennis Gates, look look up his story. I mean, if you talk, I, I know we have seen some dumpster fires at Vanderbilt, but the one that he took over at Cleveland State for Dennis Felton, uh, he he literally had no scholarship players on his team when he took the team over in that summer. And they end up being respectable, and I think he was coach of the year in that conference in year two. Yeah, I, I where the only thing I'll say is I think the SEC will only get six teams. I think the five you talk about every time, yes, and I guess Mississippi State would be the six. There's no way in my mind that a Missouri or an Ole Miss will get in. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it at all because yeah. Missouri's wins. I don't think 
I don't know if that. I don't know how many quad one wins. Do they have any quad one wins yet? Uh, Wichita Wichita State might be, that, and that was on the road. I mean, look, they, they have not. They played an awful schedule. But I mean, they, they've all some of the transfers they had have also done stuff at, at some other places too. I mean, I think, um, oh goodness gracious, and, and Gates spent a lot of his time trying to send messages to kids too to get them bought in. Um, is it Demoy Hodge? It was Player of the Year in a, in a league. I can't remember which one. He has so many transfers. I I confuse them at times. Um, you know, Nick Honor played a lot at Clemson. Like, like I said, they, they got shredded by Kansas and looked awful, and I'm not defending that. But um, I, I'm just a big believer in in Dennis Gates. Uh, okay, let's go back to the Vanderbilt thing. If 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 let's say then that you're correct that there's eight SEC teams that get in the NCAA or seven, I, I'd say seven. seven. I'd say seven. Yeah. Okay. If you say seven, that means half the league is either going to go to NIT or CBI or nothing. So. Where do we fit in there? And to me, we should be at least that eighth, ninth, tenth in those one of those three categories. We shouldn't be in year four, eleven to fourteen. That's my argument of of keeping or getting rid of your coach. I think that's where yeah. we should be. Well, and I, I think I think you've got it. And I'm we're talking two different things, right? Where where they are and where they yeah. should be. From from what right. I hear, I think the chancellor shares the point of view that, that that should be an upper half of the SEC program, that the NCAA tournament. Like, I, I think he's very well aware, from what I understand, of their history and tradition, and that basketball has kind of been their bread and butter sport, and they've done some good things. And I think, you know, look, it wasn't that long ago that Kevin Stallings got fired for going to the NCAA tournament. And I look back, and I was probably too hard on Kevin, but if you were also there at the time and watching it, um, and you heard the grumbling, and, and the expectation was, hey, th- this team should not only be in the NCAA tournament, but it should be winning games. And that's where the bar was at that time. And that's what the former players felt. And I, from what I remember hearing at the time, uh, pressure by former players carried a lot of weight at the time with David Williams. And I don't think that you have got a group of former basketball players that's real bought in on the the program right now, and frankly, on the athletic department in general, you know, to me, and and I go back a long way with Vanderbilt basketball. I was ten years old, so I was fifty about fifty years of Vanderbilt basketball. Vanderbilt basketball, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Arkansas are the only three programs that really have played better than Vanderbilt basketball historically. Alabama and Florida. Vanderbilt Al- Alabama like would be in that group too. Alabama's got Alabama a better record than people think. But but carry on. Well, well, but what I'm saying is Alabama and, and Florida. We are 71 and 73 historically against them. So we've held our own with Alabama and Florida. All the other teams, we are ahead. Just about all of the other teams, except for maybe South Carolina. I think we're really close with them. Like we're 30 and 40 games ahead of an Ole Miss, a Mississippi State, an Auburn, a Georgia. It's not even close. Vanderbilt's like 80 and 40 against those type of teams. They're not, it's not really close. LSU's fairly close. But there's only three teams in the SEC that have accomplished a whole lot more than Vanderbilt. Alabama, Vanderbilt's been to one Elite Eight. Tennessee's been to one Elite Eight. 
Arkansas, Kentucky have been to Final Fours. And then Florida, they were one of the worst teams. When I first started watching Vanderbilt basketball, Florida was horrible. Florida's history is mostly Billy Donovan, although Norm Sloan did some good things there too. Yeah. You're right. So, 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 so historically, Vanderbilt absolutely should be in the upper half. At very minimum, they should be in the upper half. Now, Vanderbilt isn't Duke. I've heard that Vanderbilt should be Duke. Now, look, if you say that, then that, that then then uh, why shouldn't every school that's like Vanderbilt baseball, you know, why shouldn't Wake Forest be Vanderbilt baseball? You can't say that. We hit on a great coach with Tim Corbin. Duke hit on a great coach with Mike Krzyzewski. And it all got started. So you can't really say Vanderbilt should be Duke. But Vanderbilt in the Southeastern Conference in basketball should definitely be in the top seven year in, year out, and should be an NCAA team once every three years at bare minimum. Yeah, and I I think – is it fair to say the chancellor is going to hold the trump card in all this? Uh, It has to be. If he's not, then what are we talking about for? It doesn't matter anymore. If that's the case, then we are still sitting here spinning our wheels in the mud, and it's the same old, same old. And I don't think it is. Again, I I love Daniel Deermont. I think he is, holds the key to everything. I'm not blaming Candace Lee. I'm not blaming anybody else in that athletic department right now for, for our shortcomings. Either get on board with what Daniel Deermont wants or get out the door. That's the way I look at it. Yeah. Um... There was a comment there, and I lost it. But, yeah, I I know there's been a lot of talk about the contract and everything, and, and I've tried to find out details for sure. I, I just can't, including the buyout. It's I, it's not been a very fruitful search. <laughs> I'm, I've not given up. Yeah. But it does, it does seem to be <sighs> most of what I hear is that the – extension that Candace gave him the the sentiment is that was more window dressing than prohibitive should they choose to move on after this year is that a fair way to put it yeah I think so and and, you know and and Chris let's say again let me go back to the way I feel I feel again we got to wait till the end of the season where I'm coming from today is where we sit today okay we played 10 games we should in my opinion we should be seven and three we lost to Grambling who we should never lose to I don't care it, we should if we play them a hundred times. You should beat them ninety nine and a half times. Vanderbilt basketball. When we get through at the end of the season, if it's not setting in an NIT, at least, then we need to move on because it's been four years, and it's the progress would be to me null and void. There hasn't been any, not to the extent that it should be. It really hasn't. Last year we were where we should have been. We were on schedule when we beat Pitt. And then 48 hours later, we come out with zero effort, fall behind a team, 10 to nothing, and show no energy, turn the ball over a ton. That's To me, that's coaching, and that's all it is is coaching. Yeah, and I think they play hard for him. I, I do think he's got but some, you know, he's – renowned for but I mean I, I just think it's his talent evaluation he's just not very good at it and I don't think you can just fix that overnight I, I still question the effort they put in I've, I've got my reasons for that I'm not going to go public with those right now but that's the part to me that he just 
has not shown any ability to solve, and I don't see that getting a lot better. Let me ask you this. Let me scenario a little bit here. Let's say we win the last three. Say we beat NC State, which they've kind of fallen on hard times a little bit. Their last couple of games, they lost to Pitt, who we beat, and they lost to somebody else the other day. They're like eight and three or seven and four. So if we beat NC State, win the other two, and we enter conference, play eight and five. Okay, then we do go. Let's say we go nine nine, and we are playing for an NCAA tournament bid when we go to the SEC tournament. What do you think should happen? Oh, then I think he comes back. Look, if, if you go nine and okay. nine in this league, then you've done something. I again, and some of that is a difference of opinion. I think the league is better than you you think it is. I'm sitting here looking at right. Ken Palm right now. Ken Palm has got them going five and thirteen in the SEC. And by the way, I think there's still some preseason bias baked into this. They were what was it sixty? Let me pull Eight. this up. Sixty-eight. Uh, they were 66 preseason. So they are 99 today. And I think a little bit that includes a forecast that to me looks like was optimistic. So if they're 99 now, they're, they're probably a little less than that. And again, that would be baked into the predictions too. And so Ken Palm has got them beating South Carolina. That Those are the only two games in which they are favored individually. Uh, in, in conference play. So if, if you go straight up win win and losses, Ken Palm's got him 2-16 and 16 in the league. If you go some of all the probabilities, which means that if you got a 45% chance to lose, uh, you, you know, over time, you win some of those where you're underdogs. That's where that 5-13 and 13 comes in, if that makes sense. And by the way, they are... They are a four-point underdog to NC State in Chicago this coming Saturday, which it wouldn't shock me if they win that game. It would not shock me if they were to win their last four out of conference. Um, I, I would say, oh, you're right. They've got they've got three. So that's eight and five. Okay, let's let's game this a little bit. They so they'd be eight and five in the league. So they would have to do what to get the five hundred? Um, seven uh, eleven wouldn't seven eleven wouldn't get them there, uh, boring winning two games in the SEC tournament. Right. Yeah, eight and so ten eight would and have to be it. You'd be sixteen and fifteen. Now, if you win one in the tournament, I, I, you should get an NIT with a seventeen sixteen mark. So eight and ten. Uh, could get you in if you go eight and five the non-conference, but you know the other thing, Chris, we we all we don't really take him and we look at the stats, we look at the analytics and all that. You know who knows who's going to get thrown off of somebody's team, who knows who's going to get hurt, yeah. who knows who's going to get in trouble, like we just saw with Chris Beard in Texas. You don't you don't know. There's so many other factors that are going to play out in these next two months. So I, again, I'm not on here today to say I'm saying at this point. Where we are today, does Jerry Stackhouse deserve to be back? No. I hope he proves me wrong and we're sitting in the NCAA tournament or no worse than NIT in about two months. But if he's not, then then the pressure, Deermeyer and whoever else is going to make this decision needs to make it because we historically have set on coaches too long. Not just in basketball. 
And, and they don't need to make a move in season unless there's like another no. outburst no. or something. So no, we don't. No, that would be that wouldn't be fair no. to the kids either. Look, I mean, if he if he goes nine and nine in the league, then yeah, then absolutely you bring him back. Um, that that to me makes up for some of the losses. Um, Southern Miss scrambling that because you're winning at that point a bunch of games that you shouldn't be winning. But but I do that's think right. that that's where year five has to be a it's it's NCAA tournament or bust, and I don't really care what the circumstances are. Maybe nobody's picking you go to the NCA, uh, but but that's kind of because of the foundation you built to the house too. I agree with that a hundred percent. I agree with that. But you know, and and making a football reference here, our Ken Palm, which is basically the same thing as what Vegas put out that we were a two and a half win team in football well we yeah. overachieved there too we won two games in the sec that we were not favored in so it happens you know it just it, it just does well and to his credit they generally start playing their best ball from about mid-february on the, the mm-hmm. place in their schedule where they could start making some hay they got florida and gainesville on the 11th of february South Carolina and Columbia, I think they can win that one on the road. I don't think South Carolina is very good. Uh, they've got we're Auburn here. Well, d- frankly, <laughs> I'm trying to play out an optimistic scenario uh, and string three or four games together, uh, and it's it's not easy. I, I guess the best the best stretch here would be at A and M, which I don't think is as good as. Okay, well, let, let's start earlier. Okay, January 21st at Georgia. They got a shot in that one. January the 28th at A&M. If A&M doesn't get a lot better than it is, uh, I, I think that's winnable, although that is that is absolutely applicable for Vanderbilt too, but I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic here. Uh, Ole Miss right. at home, February 4th, winnable. Florida, February 11th on the road, winnable, potentially. Uh, I'm I'm stretching this a little bit for for the purpose of the exercise. South Carolina, February the 14th, uh, on the road, very winnable. Uh, that that is where they're going to have to make. St- and and oh, by the by the way, you, you you better beat South Carolina for the home opener on January 3rd, which I think that was the home opener last year, and they lost. If correct me if I'm wrong on that, or it was close to it. Two point. That that that's one that that's one you. I think these next these next five games are really crucial if they're going to do anything like that. Next four. Well, pardon the pun, but stacking wins has been an issue with Coach Stackhouse in his program. In other words, last year we opened the season by winning at Arkansas. Come home, everybody's fired up, and then you lay an egg against South Carolina. That's what he's got to get. That's the mountain he's got to climb and with his team. And there again, whether it's talent or whatever it may be, you can't just win a good game, play good one day, and the next day come out and roll the ball out and play. And I will say this, and I may be wrong. I may be wrong. The one, I think the thing that's really bothered me most, most about the Grambling game, our preparation seemed poor. It just did. I don't. And I may be wrong. I don't want to say that one of the coaches didn't do his job with his scout, or maybe we didn't scout him and we just rolled the ball out there and played. I don't know because it was such a short turnaround. But I just felt like 
that team wanted it so much more than we did. It wasn't even funny. Every loose ball they got. There is, and if I wish I could do a frame of it, there was one play in that game where we have the ball. It's bouncing right to us. All we got to do is just take one step to get it, and we let one of their guys dive in front of us and steal it, and they get a, a, a dunk. Just that's – I'm sorry. That's effort, that's coaching, that's preparation. Can't happen against the grambling. It can't. Yeah, I, I think um, the SWAC is generally one of the two worst conferences year in and year out in the league. Now, I do think Dante Jackson's done a pretty good job there for them, but we're sure. splitting hairs. If, if, if we're even talking about justifying a loss to Grambling, then it's a bad spot. No, there's no justification losing the Grambling. I don't no, care no. if they've got Abdul Jabbar in his prime. Uh, look, there's 36 conferences the last I looked in the in 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 the country. In Division One basketball, thirty-one, I think we have. Okay, okay, we have a winning record against all but like five of them. Yeah, and we've got four or five that we've never lost a game to, and SWAC was one of them. We were thirteen and zero coming in, so yeah. so you know, it just it, it can't happen. There's certain things that yeah. just can't happen, and that 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 lo- it just lost a lot of. Uh, and I'm sure Jerry felt that too. If he was honest with everybody. He probably wants to kick himself in the butt, realizing, well, how did we lose to this basketball team? You know, look yourself in the mirror. Take, you know, take the blame for it. Well, it it didn't go unnoted by the fan base that Grand Canyon, which is where Bryce Drew is, beat this team eighty-one to forty-eight back on November the eighteenth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, which you was, know, and, and again, yeah, I'm the world's worst at comparing scores. You know, this team also beat Colorado. Which beat Tennessee. So does that really matter? No. Right. No. Or, or the, the early season comparison game leads you to some strange right. places. I mean, and they also beat, well, no, Texas San Antonio is awful. Um, but they did beat them 20 points on the road. Uh, again, if, if we were at this point <laughs> where yeah. we've gone from, you know, Ke- Kevin Stallings not winning a game in the NCAA tournament gets him fired, what, six years ago or whatever it's been, or seven. To right. we're, we're trying to figure out how maybe losing to Grambling even isn't as bad as as maybe it looks, and that that just that says everything about where the program is. So, it does um, well, we're, we're, we got thirty more or twenty more? Are you ready for the mailbag? I'd love to. Let's do it. Okay. As soon as I find my read, we'll get there. Ah. Uh, Mondays are crazy. Okay. Our mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, this one is football-related, I believe. Doorfan6 asks, with a lot of good players coming back, I've changed my expectations for next year in a good way. When's the last time the roster has been this good? We're talking football, I assume. Yeah, and and to be clear, we don't know exactly what the roster is going to be yet. But although we're we're getting a better idea, Ray Davis won't be part of it. Um, I would presume that if Shepard or Swan or some of those guys were going to be in the portal, we we might have seen that by now. Um, so right. I, well, I, I guess we're getting close. I mean, commitments are are filing in. You typically lose one or two of those, but you'll gain some. The recruiting is 
according to to rivals, I think the class is at 32 last time I looked. So, but I don't know how many of those kids are going to help. I mean, we talked about freshmen having a shot to help, you know, in the defensive backfield, and and that didn't happen at all, with the exception of one. So, uh, I'll stop rambling now and just let you answer the question about that. I think this, Chris. I think, you know, this year we were five and seven. I think you're looking at a, you know, these kids always say, let's run it back. I think that's what you're looking at next year is five and seven to six and six. I think we'll be either playing Tennessee with five wins or playing Tennessee already having six wins. I think that's where we will be. Um, anything better than that is great. Uh, it should be coach of the year. Uh, I, I, now, again, that always goes without saying that if you don't get a ton of injuries and all that type of thing, but just looking at the schedule, uh, looking where we've improved uh, and where our depth is getting a little bit better, uh, how much I think we have got to hold on to A.J. Blazik. I think he's a terrific coach, along with Larry Black. I think he's a terrific coach and several others. But uh, where we've improved, I think we're looking at five, seven, six, six. What's your feeling on how effective and active they'll be in the transfer portal? I guess the the second more important than the first. <laughs> I think activity will come from people that had left or, in other words, positions of need only. Uh, I think we'll be incredibly selective. I know you probably know more about this stuff than I do. Um, getting some guys from the Ivy League that can play, because there are kids that can play in that league. Uh, you know, finding a corner that can play, a rush in that can play. But it's not going to be a big number. It's always going to be in that five to seven range, in my opinion, of what we do in the portal. Yeah, and I won't share specifics here, but um, I've I've talked to Clark Lee off the record about this a little bit, and their priority is going to be developing their kids and giving them a chance. In other words, if you if you come in work hard for a couple of years, you don't get your opportunity. We're not going to undercut you by bringing in a transfer you know, and, and discouraging our, our kids like that. I think that's the way they're approaching it. I know people have an issue with it, but I do think long-term that's better for the culture and morale of the program. And that probably keeps kids out of the portal. Uh, that can help you down the line from jumping in before you've got a chance to develop them and see what that looks like. No, I agree. And I, I, he, he said that's his approach since he walked in the door. And uh, he, he knows that he's going to have to do that. That's the only way you're successful at a school like Vanderbilt in, in today's era. Okay, let's see what's next. DFW Mark, who are some of your favorite assistant coaches that have ever been at Vandy? He didn't specify by sports, so I'll just let you answer that as you please. Um, Robbie Caldwell in football jumps right out at me. Uh, in fact, all of Bobby Johnson's staff I really cared about. Um Steve Crosby, Jamie Bryant, uh, I, can, I can name a ton of them that I still keep in touch with. So I don't necessarily have a favorite. I probably talk to and do more with Robbie Caldwell than any of them. Uh, and in basketball, uh, I loved Ed Martin. Ed Martin was, uh, he and I talked probably every day when he was at Vanderbilt. Uh, Ed was a tremendous person. Um, John Bostic, Mike Petroni. Um, uh, I, I loved Rick Callahan, who was on Eddie Fogler's staff. Uh, sheer entertainment was the way I'd describe Rick Callahan. 
just there's a ton of them. There's a ton of them. Rob Bargatze, loved him, love him still. So there's a ton of them. And then baseball, Gary Burns, a pitching coach who was there for Coach Muburn and Coach Muburn. Uh, and then, of course, obviously Tim Corbin and his staff. Did you like David Turner from uh, Bobby Johnson's old staff? Like him? Uh, yeah. How can I say this diplomatically? Um, he 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 was uh, he went to the beat of his own drum. I'll just say that. I always kind of liked him. I thought he was pretty wickedly funny at times. Uh, but every day, I live with yeah. him every day. Yeah, I, I get I mean, it. I, I, I there was a reason I asked that question. Hear, but if I hear, let me just say this: if I hear one more time, it's it's a game day gear, uh, game day men. Get your gear on. Get your battle gear on. If I hear that one more time, that's one too many. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I, <laughs> Do I even want to know what you thought about all the Masonisms? So uh, I, 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 that's okay. I don't even want to talk about that. Right. I really don't. All right. Mo- moving along now. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Ann Arbor door. What's your best behind the scenes coach Woody story? Oh, I love it. Now listen, there's probably 50 I could share uh, that I can't share, but there's two or three that I can. Um, one of my favorite ones, if you'll remember Woody's team's, most of the time, we're really, really good defensively, uh, at least for a while. And in 97, we're playing UT in Knoxville. I think it's Peyton Manning senior, senior day. And we lose to them on the, in the last minute, 17 to 10. And when we're going to midfield, I'm going over to shake Roger Frazier, UT's equipment manager's hand. And Woody and I are walking together, and he and Fulmer are meeting. And Woody, <laughs> Fulmer goes, Woody, your kid did a hell of a job. And Woody... Tom almost angrily told him, he said, yeah, Phil, if I had your players, I'd have beat you by a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Which was terrific. I loved it. Oh, uh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, he was good. Uh, and uh, one of the other, what's the other Woody is? I mean, it was another great Woody story. Let's see, I just had it on the tip of my tongue. Oh, gosh. Uh, it's escaping me now. If I remember it, I will go to it next week. Did we ever tell the Dowhower story? On podcasts, uh, uh, which one? The the, the preseason expectation story. Oh, I don't know. A- I, Andrew, I, let I, me I, just back. Andrew Carr told me that one, and yeah, and the reason it was so funny was because Andrew was a walk on, and that was like his first team meeting, and he just was coming out of it going, "Is, is this what?" Is this, is this what college football is? Which kind of made it funnier when he told it to me. But you you verified that one for me. Not not that I distrusted Andrew. He's never Andrew's a great dude, and he wouldn't lie. But great it just guy. was funny to hear you remember that one too. Oh no, it was. Listen, and, and do we want to tell it? Have you told it before on the air? Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, I think we might have told it on the pod before. But if, if we haven't, then it's a great story. And if any if we had, it's it's probably worth the, the chance here for those who didn't hear it. Okay. Based, okay, it's the preseason meeting. Everyone's in there. Team, trainers, managers, everybody. Uh, back then, you had the old overhead projector. So he's got this on the overhead. He's got the schedule. And all the lights are out. He's got his little pinhook glasses down on his nose. And he goes, all right, guys. We're going to talk about this schedule here. Here's what we got. 
and he started with it or whatever, North Texas. Uh, we, well, that's a W right there. We're going to win that one. Now, who's got Alabama? We got Georgia. We're going to try to keep them close. We, we ain't got no shot to win those. We're going to try to keep them close. I'm looking around the room. Everybody's looking around the room, craning their neck. Wait a minute. Is he really, is this a joke? Is he fixing to come out with a punchline? What are we doing? He goes through the entire schedule and does that. The players walk out. Their shoulders are slumped. <laughs> it was, I mean, it, it was so painful. You had to laugh about it. And I'm thinking, that's why Rod only made it two years. But you know how ironic? I got to said that story, but, but Chris, he had one of the best staffs, assistants that's ever been at Vanderbilt. Who was on that staff? That's before I covered he, him. Okay. Woody Woodenhofer, Ken Wisenhunt, Perry Fuel, Ron Aiken, Ed Lambert. I'm trying to think of who else, there, uh, who else was on it. But, I mean, an amazing staff. Mike Deal, an offensive line coach who was one of the, one of the top five I've seen there. I mean, great staff. And uh, Coach Wisenhunt shared with me, he said, Luke, Rod is a terrific coach on the field one-on-one with an individual position, whether it be wide receivers or quarterbacks. But when you put him in charge of something, it, it just overwhelms him. He doesn't – he can't handle it. And then, obviously, he couldn't. Was he the worst football coach they had when you were there? Uh, no question. It's not even close, hands down. I'll say this, and I'm not trying to be mean to Rod. Rod was fine with me, but he's one of the worst coaches we had in any any sport there. As Who's far, the worst he, basketball I mean, coach in your, in your association with them? Worst basketball coach. Well, um, I'll tell you one that would have been a great coach but got into some trouble outside. Let me say that first. Who got into some, to some yeah, trouble outside? Yeah, I think I know where this is going. Go ahead. Wayne Dobbs. Yep. Did you know Wayne Dobbs? Okay. Um, I, I did not. I know, I know that story. I right. probably not. Well, I mean, you can. I guess you can tell it if you want to, but um, it no, was tell that. I, I don't want to get into yeah. that, but I, I would say a coach who would have done really well there, I think, was Coach Dobbs if he hadn't done some stuff outside of basketball. Um, one of the worst coaches, the uh, worst decision makers ever, was Richard Schmidt. Richard had an idea, and it was, and, and you can't fault fault a guy for sticking to his philosophy because he was very successful at Tampa but uh, at a different level. And he was very successful, I think, Louisville-Ballard High School. But when he came to Vanderbilt, he thought he wanted to win games 49 to 48. And he would bench guys like Charles Davis and Mike Rhodes in favor of Ted Young and Jimmy Lind. So, you know, I'd have to put Richard Schmidt there as one of the worst uh, at Vanderbilt. Okay, go towards 94. What were the reasons Vanderbilt terminated Kevin Stallings, and where would the program be if he were still here? Well, I think at that time, which, you know, we just kind of talked about this, our expectations were to get the NCAA and win games and at least be playing on the second weekend. And that's good. That's where your expectations should be. Kevin had been there 17 years, and I think um, it had kind of run its course. Um you know, and, and people say, well, it's obviously a good choice because look what happened when he went to Pittsburgh. They didn't win a game the next year. So I don't know. Uh, and I love Kevin Stall. I like Kevin. Don't get me wrong. He's a 
great guy. He's always good to me. Now he got criticized for being pretty gruff, uh, in practices and using salty language. A lot of times with, I know there's a ton of coaches that do that. Um, but, uh, I just think it had run its course. That's why 17 years is a long time to be a head coach somewhere. If his personality is different, does he keep his job longer? Um, you know, I don't know. And I, I would say no, because again, you know, very few places do you see a guy make it more than 10 years. I, I, I either by age or success or not success. I mean, the great ones, of course, the Dean Smiths and the Jeffsies and that type of thing, they, they make it a long time, but, um, no, I, I don't think so. I don't, I think Kevin got through that. He was getting better as time went on actually. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fair. Um, he had a meeting. I don't think we ever talked about this. What I was told at the time, he had a meeting with David Williams after the season that went sideways in a hurry. That I think involved Kevin saying something along the lines of, um, it's my program, you stay out of it. Was that true? From what I understand, yes. I think yeah, you're not far off it. Was was that the straw that broke the camel's back, or was it happening anyway? I think it was happening anyway. I don't think, and I yeah. think Kevin knew it was happening anyway, and Kevin was just standing up for himself and was uh, speaking honestly. Yeah. Okay, let's see if we've got any more questions. Um, we've got our questions thread kind of hijacked by squabble, which that tends to happen when. When bad losses occur, I've noticed it's it's funny. It's like everybody's in a great mood and nobody fights when teams win. Um, I know. And then you you throw in a grambling and it just all goes to. Oh my um, goodness! Yeah. Let's see. Let me scroll down. Well, there's a lot of squabbling in here. It's a picture of two girls fighting. Um. Here we go. Here's questions again. Great. Okay, uh, what are your top two memories associated with Vanderbilt Athletics? What are your two memories you'd most like to forget associated with Vanderbilt Athletics? That is from Papa Hick 4 vu Ooh, that's tough. Uh, obviously, the greatest memories of the national championships in any sport. I was just excited for Jeff McDonald when he won the tennis champion national championship. He and Aliki Sabonis. Uh, love that. I love John winning bowling. You know, people make fun of that, but hey, if you John is a great a, dude, man. He is. I, I really like John Williamson so much. Absolutely. Who else could say they played? Well, Corbin, I guess, could played in five national <laughs> championships. Um, and then, of course, the, the two with Corbin, the 14. And, and to me, the best college baseball team I ever saw was the 2019 baseball team. Uh, yeah. That, so so those those national championships, you have to say. As far as the low ebb, um, there's a lot of low ebbs, unfortunately, over 40 years. Um, I think losing to MTSU, one of those losses when we lost two in a row to them, I, I can't remember which one it was, but that was when we were so much better than them. I think it was Jay Cutler's year, and we, we tried moving Chris Nixon out to receiver and moved Jay out to receiver and Chris Nixon at quarterback, and it backfired on us, and they blocked the field goal at the end of the game. Uh, that that was one of the lowest ebbs in football. Uh, those blowout games, you know, like the Tennessee games and stuff like that, that doesn't bother me because most of the time that's just because 
they've got more talent than you do. Um, Basketball-wise, uh, the tennis ball game, I know you've heard of that. I don't know if you were oh, yeah. here for it. but that, I, that was I was in the stands play. for that one, yeah. And, I, and I, I'm not sure if, if Al Phillips' son was doing the scoreboard then, but I, I, I jokingly would say to him, man, you got to have a quick trigger finger because if they would uh, don't have such a quick uh, trigger finger, because if they just let the clock expire, the, the game's over. There's no technical. But because there was one second left on the clock, the technical was called. Yeah. I know who threw the tennis ball. I know know the person who threw the tennis ball. I will not name names here, but I'm presuming you do as well. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, yeah, that was was the low ebb in basketball, I think. Yeah, I mean, to to me, the... um, and, And by the way, I think, you know, 20 years is coming up in two weeks at the site. We may do a a retrospective, wow. uh, and and I, I didn't really know you till a few years ago, but um, just maybe walking back memory lane with your perspective on things oh, could be interesting. I would so. love to. I, I'll probably bore folks with so many stories, but I yeah, I'd love to. That'd be fun. I'm trying to decide if I want to do that or not. I think I'm going to. Uh, may, maybe okay. get a former partner on and. Um, Maybe have a Seabass episode if I can get him back on. He's so busy. But like there there's certain people that if you're gonna do that, mm-hmm. you have to do the story with with those guys with you. And you you would be certainly one of those. Again, even though I didn't I didn't know you for most of the time. I think that could be interesting. So be great. Love to. Any uh any parting thoughts as we in this lovely upbeat and positive episode <laughs> no l- l- let me just say this again let's go back to where i'm my criticisms today coming forward saying i think you should go if we don't go to the nit are all coming from where we stand right now i hope that in two weeks i'm saying i'm glad we gave stack the extension uh, but we're five and five right now we shouldn't be five and five we should be better than that and uh, at the end of the season, if I'm sitting here and we're 14 and 18, and I say we should be better than that, then we should go a different direction. I don't think I asked you this on podcast, but you don't. Well, I, what what do you think his contract looks like, and what do you think the buyout looks like if you had an educated guess? Oh, I'm just guessing here. It's not that much. I wouldn't think of a buyout. I think. I do think the, the contract extension, and I, I have no proof of this at all. I'm just speculating, really. But just common sense would tell you that the buyout's not that much. Um, and, and I would think this, too. I think Jerry, if he feels like it, and I'm sure he doesn't because of his ego, if he feels like he can't get it done here, you know, he needs to go back to the NBA, in my opinion. I don't think college... If this doesn't work out at Vanderbilt, I'm not sure college is where he should be. So, you know, I, I, that's that's the only feelings I have on that. Well, the, the issue with that is I don't think he's getting an NBA head coaching job anytime soon, and I think he would have to leave to be an assistant if he wanted to take that yeah, route. I don't. I, think. I don't think he'll do that though. Yeah, um, maybe not. I don't know though. I, playing in front of. Three to five thousand people, and then when we play Kentucky and Tennessee in here, 
if it goes the way I think it's going to go, there's going to be three to five thousand. You know, used to be never, never did Memorial Gym get taken over. Even when Kentucky was at their best, they still didn't have the majority of fans in their memorial. But that's changing now. And to me, when you lose your home court advantage in basketball, that's when you definitely have to make moves. Yeah, I think optics. Like if if yeah. you have one of those games where they get beat by thirty. And it's go big blue or go big orange the whole second half. That yep. might be a, you know, in, unless you're stacking a, you know, a a nine and nine season on that in the league. That might be one of those things that I wonder if like, because I think that that Kevin's game, Kevin Stallings, I got the feeling that that Tennessee game in the SEC tournament was kind of the tipping point. Well, they had that game one. Tennessee came back and and beat them in the final seconds, and it wasn't a particularly good Tennessee team. I think that was Donnie Tindall's only year. Like sometimes you have one of those moments where, like, and it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right, if people aren't already frustrated, then that that doesn't really move the needle there in terms with a coaching change. But that might be the other variable we didn't really discuss. Is that attendance combined with an embarrassing moment combined with the people have already had it already? And frankly, I think the Grambling game, judging my by board, was a little bit of a tipping point for part of the fan base. You had some people that that said, and some of them said it on the board, and some of them texted me, "Hey, I was with them until that." Yeah, and I, and listen, I, I'm still with him from the standpoint that I wait. I, I'm not going to cut people off at at the knees. After 10 games, I, no matter how bad, if we'd lost by 30 to Grambling, I still wouldn't. But what I'm saying is right now where we are, it's not good enough. It's not. Um, so do I feel back you? Absolutely. I'm still going to go support the kids and hope that they win the rest of their games. But uh, I understand people feeling that way. I absolutely do. Luke, thanks for joining us today. Always appreciate you being on, and we'll catch you again um, maybe next week. But by this time next week, I'm going to be in Colorado with my in-laws for two weeks. We are taking a road trip out there. We're leaving Friday. Uh, So I'll be driving two full days each way probably, and and then time in between. I'll bring my stuff, but it's also holidays, and so I'll probably be going on the fly there. But in any case, we will catch up with you again either next week or in the coming weeks. And uh, thank you, as always, for joining us. You bet. We'll have a whole lot to talk about then. (laughs) Yeah, the the, the NC State game will be interesting. I think if if he gets that one, then then okay, maybe this isn't a disaster. But if he loses that one, then it, it becomes that scenario where just finishing above 500 is very hard to fathom. Yeah, I agree with that. So, Thank okay, you, Luke, thanks thanks a bunch. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk, Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group, and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrisley70 at gmail.com. 
We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.